0: I'm Devin, if you don't know me, I'm the youth pastor, and uh, so we're going to read, uh, continue to read, and kind of dig through uh, Luke chapter 1 this morning. Uh, but I don't know about you, but uh, after this past year, I feel like we can describe the mood of our culture as one that feels hopeless and maybe fearful, and I feel like people are itching for something different, and a lot of people look to politicians, and yet they find themselves disappointed, and... and, and uh, kind of dissatisfied, uh, but I think most of us in the room would argue that that is not something that's new this year, right? We'd probably say that is the human, uh, that's the human—that's the condition of the human heart in that, um, in that we will always find ourselves disappointed, and a nation without God is a nation without hope, and often masked in insecurity and frustration with what um, the world has to offer, uh, we find ourselves in that way with fear and anxiety. And so what we find in this passage this morning uh, is a simple uh, teenage girl who finds herself in the same situation, uh, surrounded by people without hope, and uh, her herself feeling uh, fearful and, and anxious and even, in, in a way, doubtful. And yet this girl was brought the greatest hope and the answer to every man's greatest disappointments. And even uh, to you this morning, uh, wherever you find yourself... Um, Whatever fears you have, whatever disappointments you uh, find yourself, whatever frustrations you have, uh, I believe with all my heart and all my being that this passage right here speaks to your disappointments, to your fears, and, and to your longings. And so I just want you to have um, that concept as we dig into the word this morning, um, and to, and, to, and, to, and to think about the story from a, from a fresh perspective. And I know that we talk about uh, this every single year, right? We come to this same passage and we talk about the virgin birth. And in a lot of ways, it can come, become a mundane and, and a continuous passage that we hear over and over again uh, because we talk about it all the time. But my prayer for you this morning and my prayer for myself is that God would rejuvenate our hearts with the truth in this passage because there's nothing mundane about this passage in fact, without this single story, none of the gospel could be true. Without the truth of God becoming man, I would argue, is the greatest miracle there ever was. Uh, and we spend so much time talking about Jesus' life and his, um, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, uh, that, we, that we sometimes forget to look and to remember and to joyfully reflect on the fact that God took the form of man and humbled himself below us and became a baby so that he could face every fear, every anxiety that you would ever face, and he would do it perfectly, and yet he would die in your place only doing that because he's the God-man, fulfilling every need that you ever wanted. So let's pray for that truth for our hearts this morning. God, we thank you so much for the fact that you uh, care about each person in this room and that you care about our pastor Tom and we pray that you would just protect him and that you would uh, keep him safe as the doctors are working and as he is resting that you would um, bring him back to heal um, fully and full recovery God and um, but I pray for each person in this room who come from all different walks of life and all different backgrounds um, and yet we gather together to worship you are our, our, the same God and um, and that you uh, see that each need and each disappointment in our hearts um and and you and you care about them, God. And and I pray that you would just allow us to open our hearts and bring those and lay them before you, um, as we read your word. And uh, God, I pray for anyone in this room um, that knows the Christmas story, uh, and and believes it, but feels um, just apathetic about it. That you would change their heart, God, and that we would see uh, just such a relevant truth within sight of it. Um, and if there's people in this room who uh, have grown up hearing the truths about uh, your your son, that, um, but they don't believe it, that you would cause their hearts to believe God because there's nothing greater um, than, than this gospel story. Uh, but we pray that you would just speak through your word, and, and we need you this morning, especially this morning, uh, with such little prep, that you would just speak through me and that you would uh, use your word to, to change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in this passage that Tom chose for us to read this morning, uh, we read from the gospel of Luke. And so we don't, actually, Luke is the... Uh, Uh, the person that we know the least about as the disciple of Jesus, uh, uh, as a gospel writer. But we do know that Luke was a doctor, and in that, he's very detailed. And Luke is the most detailed gospel writer that we have. And as Paul talked about last week, uh, he starts from before Jesus' account, and he talks about uh, the birth of John. And it spans all the way, he even writes Acts and goes all the way to where the gospel is spread throughout the the Roman Empire. And so it's the fullest and most complete account of any gospel message that we have. Yet throughout the entire gospel of Luke, he never mentions himself a single time, which is kind of frustrating because we want to know more about this guy. Um, But he is the most humble of all of the gospel writers, especially compared to uh, the gospel of John who refers to himself constantly as the one that Jesus loves the most. Um, but it's, uh, it's just interesting that he's humble. It's, a, it's, it's great to be able to come to a passage in that way, knowing that the writer, um, in it, his theme throughout the whole thing is that Jesus is magnified. So, um, but very purposely, Luke begins to tell the story of Jesus with two accounts of unlikely pregnancies. And there's so much depth to those two things. So let's quickly review what we talked about last week and begin uh, where we left off there. So we find at the beginning of the book of Luke, the angel Gabriel coming to uh, Zechariah and telling him in his old age that him and Elizabeth would have a son. And how did, how did Zechariah respond to that? Doubt. Doubt, right? He doubted it. And, and, and the angel... Um, was kind of frustrated with that, and he punished him, right? And uh, so he doubted those truths, and, um, and then even Elizabeth, when, when she um, became pregnant, uh, she hid herself for five months and, uh, and kind of just um, wondered what was happening, but yet was still joyful um, as she began to process how God, um, what God had done for her in the midst of her disappointment. And so before we dive into this second uh, pregnancy story, I just want to point out four things that come from this first story. Uh, When the angel came, there was fear and doubt immediately, and there was punishment for that. Point two, Elizabeth was barren, and they were both too old to bring about a child. Yet what was impossible to man was possible for God. Point three, to be a barren woman who did not bear a child with the, was the greatest disappointment for not only that woman, but for the family um, in that culture. And so, um, in a way, it symbolized the, the greatest disappointments um, of, of, in that culture. Uh, point number four, after years of suffering and disappointment, God brought hope to the story as a, of Elizabeth and Zechariah. So from these truths, Luke continues his message and parallels and kind of foils uh, the, the next birth story as a, of holding greater significance. And in the parallel, he finds, um, he, he kind of portrays that God gives hope through um, insignificant and, and in the mundane to the doubter and the, and the one who fears and those who face their greatest disappointments in life. And so with those in mind, uh, let's jump into the second account and look back at verse 26. So if you will uh, kind of follow along with me, we'll go through verse by verse. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 26, found on page 855. Verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Within those two verses, there is so much cultural context that it would be really hard not to talk about it. And so I want to go through a couple different Aspects of that. The first thing we notice is that the, Gabriel, uh, the angel comes to a place called Nazareth. And, and uh, Nazareth isn't talked about very much in the Old Testament, but we find out that Nazareth is a place um, that is really. Um, looked at very poorly from the Jewish culture because it's distance from, the, from their uh, religious actions and so they would say that there's a lot of heathens there and people looked at them with um, kind of disgust and, um, and so we find out later in this book that uh, this guy named Nathaniel says uh, responding to Jesus coming from Nazareth nothing good comes from Nazareth and so the fact that Gabriel went to Nazareth kind of points out for the first time that Jesus is coming from a place that isn't looked at well. The second point, in the first two verses, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but in biblical Greek, there was no bolding, there was no italics, and there was no underlining. So if something was important, they would repeat the phrase uh, two or more times. And so here, what's the the word that's repeated? Anyone catch it? 26 and 27. Do this to my students, so I thought I would do it up here. And waste some time because it's going to be short. <laughs> virgin, yeah. It is not a mistake that he said that two times in one sentence. To a virgin betrothed, the virgin's name was Mary. This is such an important truth. And this Christian guy, Christian guy from Michigan, said uh, in a book not too long ago that if even if virgin wasn't a, a, um, a, even if Mary wasn't a virgin, the gospel would still be true. And that is not true. It would not be true because not only would it distort what is true about the, the words that are said here, um, but it had, she had to be a virgin. Um, and it comes from that truth that we say in the Apostles' Creed um, that we believe in a virgin birth because uh, we believe that full, he was fully God and fully man. The second point that we find in this for cultural context is to a virgin betrothed. So we know uh, that um, Mary was probably around the age of 12 or 13 years old because a woman uh, would be uh, legally set up to be married by the age of 12. And so she was a young teenager. Um, And in that, too, she was insignificant, right? Um, There's a lot of uh, ways that she was culturally insignificant. Um, And the last point from this is that from a culture perspective, the, uh, the fourth way that they're seen as insignificant is even in their names. And it points out that their names were Joseph and Mary and that's really interesting. And even though Joseph was uh, this um, from the descendant of David, uh, we can know that he's uh, in, seen as insignificant from the culture because of his name, which is very common. Uh, his job, um, which he was a carpenter, uh, the place that he lived, and and so um, even even in that cultural context, he was not seen as someone as important. And even the name Mary, um, every. Uh, all of the uh, manuscripts that we have of that time frame, uh, over fifty percent of the people, the women that we know of in that time frame, were named Mary, and so their names were like it just points out in those two verses that they were of the most little significance to the culture around them, and yet God chose to bring His child through them. God's hope comes through those who are insignificant, and uh, to uh, to say the least, that like God. Um, comes from the most unlikely of places. And I don't know about you, but I oftentimes feel really insignificant. Yet, to God, we are not insignificant. I point to God comes to the fearful. Let's continue in verse 28 here. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at that saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. As Paul mentioned last week, every time an angel appears to a man, the man is struck with fear. And angels in the Bible are not described as how you might see them today, as some chubby baby with wings that has a harp and sits on a cloud or maybe uh, bow and arrow. They're uh, indescribable and breathtaking. And the person who sees them goes, Oh, please don't die. Please don't die because um, it's really scary. But what's really interesting about this account is that Mary's fear is not because of how the angel appeared but because of what the angel said. She was not afraid of what how the angel seemed but what he said. And she would say, Why am I favored? That's her fear. Why am I, the 13-year-old girl from Nazareth, the one that God is choosing to use? So, we can use, for example, um, Mary Kay. If, uh, if a secret agent came in and came up to Mary Kay and grabbed her by the arm and said, uh, you are going to be used, the president needs you for a secret mission, and it can only be you, and uh, Mary Kay's reaction would be fear, right? Because why would the president need me, right? It's not a fear of the person coming, it's a fear of why me. And I think there's a humility inside of that. Um, and so the angel said to uh, to Mary, just as uh, he said to Zachariah, "Mary, do not be afraid." And I don't know about you, but I think it, it makes sense that Mary didn't only uh, wasn't only seen insignificant from the world, but she's seen herself as insignificant here too. But yet God still chose to use her. God's hope comes to the doubter. So let's continue in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Just like Zechariah, Mary seems to be faced with some sort of doubt toward the angel of what he's saying to her, Uh, but Mary's response seems to be, uh, excuse me, God, but don't you know that virgins don't have babies? Um, But wasn't that exactly why Zechariah got punished? Yet, Zechariah got punished and Mary got an explanation, so there has to be a difference in the way that these two people doubted. And um, it's kind of an assumption here that we can't, it doesn't say that she doubted differently, but her response was, uh, the response was different. And uh, and doubt is a really important part of where, uh, how God comes into play. And I talk about this all the time with our students. I uh, usually say that doubting is really good for the Christian, uh, but we have to doubt well. If a Christian blindly believes and walks around too busy to think about the questions or just kind of wanting to ignore, uh, ignore them, the right skeptic is going to come along and ask the right question, and your faith is going to be shattered. And so um, as a believer, uh, we should come to doubt with a different perspective uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of Tim Keller, uh, but he's one of my favorite speakers. And he wrote a book called The Reasons for God uh, The Reason for God Belief in the Age of Skepticism. It is a really influential book. You should check it out if you haven't read it. Um, I think it's in our library downstairs in the book nook. I'll give a shout out for Brenna Story. Um, But he says uh, that a person who doubts poorly comes at questions with pride in laziness but a person who comes to their doubts of God well is one who comes to God with humility, vulnerability, and wonder. This, in my opinion, is Mary's heart, a doubtful wonder, and most likely a fear of God that is healthy. And so uh, my first year as a pastor... At this church, I spoke on Christmas Eve. I don't know if you remember that. It was probably about four years ago. And for a good reason, I have not been asked to speak at Christmas Eve again. (laughs) Because I said this phrase way too many times. It was an accident, uh, but I was trying to make a point that I made too clearly. Uh, But what, um, what Mary is being told here is something that is not easy to comprehend. Nor is it sweet like the nativity scene portrays it to be. Uh, Mary has just been told that she will have a baby before she's married. And this has several implications. Uh, First, she would probably lose her husband betrothed. Second, according to the legal system, she uh, should be killed. It's punishable by death. And if she wasn't put to death, then her family would shun her for the rest of her life, and she would be put out on the street. And fourth, for the rest of Mary's life, she would be referred to as a whore. And uh, just as the Pharisees mocked Jesus and said, you don't even know who your real dad was, they were referring to Mary uh, not uh, knowing who, uh, where the baby came from. And so whoever doubted uh, the Messiah, that's what they called Mary. And so yet Mary, in her doubts and in the face of this kind of fear and disappointment, she responds in the next several passages rejoicing and praising God. Why? Because of the gospel that is brought through the virgin birth, because even at the birth of Jesus, the promise of restoration begins. Let's continue in verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son, And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am your servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The uh, The angel's answer to her doubt is one of the most magnificent truths in all of the Bible. And if you want to begin memorizing scripture, I think this is the best Bible verse to memorize. Nothing is impossible with God. And he refers back as an example to Elizabeth, uh, who is barren yet conceived a child. Um, In her disappointment, God brought restoration and hope. And so it's not a mistake that God begins the idea of restoration with the worst situations we find ourselves in. And the angel says, even to you, nothing is impossible with God. And this morning, this message is for you and for me in the world today. Um, Republicans love to talk about the war on Christmas, right? And they complain about the lack of baby Jesus on the red cups at Starbucks. Uh, But the truth is, the world doesn't need the celebration of the holiday. They need the significance of what Christmas represents. The Savior, the Restorer, the one who brings hope to the hopeless— God came down as man to do what we could not do and died in our place that we might have more than anything that we could ever imagine. And just like Elizabeth, in her greatest disappointment, God changed it. He reversed it. And he does the same for you. Uh, I really like Tolkien um, and C.S. Lewis, so I'm going to quote both of them this morning. But Tolkien represents what Jesus accomplishes so well in saying, all the sad things will become untrue. What we distorted, God will restore, and everything will be reversed. And if you walk with Jesus and believe in your doubt as Mary did, this will be the same for you too. And so, um, as I stated at the beginning, we live in a hopeless culture, right? But this will always be the viewpoint of the world without God. And as we walk around as Christians, nothing is going to change from the people around us, but praise God that we trust in Jesus Christ and we are aliens in this land that we are citizens of heaven and we await a day when our temporary bodies will be heavenly bodies. And as believers, we will live in a kingdom restored a kingdom in which we live under a king who is perfect that we can be proud of and uh, that completely satisfies us and give us gives us complete joy. And this is only true because Jesus came as a baby to a virgin And as we read in the Apostles' Creed, was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit, that this is the truth that we find all of our hope. Do you feel simple and mundane? The Christmas story is for you. Do you feel fearful and doubtful? The Christmas story is for you. Do you feel yourself feeling disappointed with everything in this world? The Christmas story is for you. And we'll end with one more uh, thought on this passage, on this last verse. Uh, Luke's account of the second visit of the, uh, of the angel Gabriel um, shows Mary submitting to God with a really strong word. She says, I am your servant. And if you look at the footnote in your ESV Bible, it should say bondservant on the bottom. And that is a really, really strong word. It's actually a word that's used for the greatest commitment a person can give to another person, and it's often used um, even as someone who is a slave to another person. It's someone who is bought with a price, someone who lives their entire life for something else. Sound familiar? It's the gospel, right? Mary is is giving is is submitting to God and trusting that her baby would not only be the savior of the world, but the savior of herself. So the gospel, um, his life, his ministry, his resurrection, is all wrapped up even in this one passage. And, um, and so in order to gain the things hoped for that are presented here, we must fully submit ourselves to God like Mary does here in desperate need and longing desire of the promises revealed at Christmas. So may your heart soak up this truth this year and this morning. And like Mary, may your heart sing for joy as you prepare him room. And we're going to sing that song together, prepare him room. And I just want you guys to think about the words. They're extremely powerful. Um, And and it goes through um, not only the birth of Jesus, but it goes through his life and resurrection. And that's what Christmas is about, the entire gospel as a whole. And so uh, before they come up, I'm going to just pray one more time for us. Um, Father God, thank you for uh, the truths in this passage. Thank you for um, Mary's response in humility. Um, Even in her fears and doubts, she came to you. And God, I pray that we, um, every year when we come to this season, that you would rejuvenate our hearts with complete joy because of the truth of the gospel that you sent your son Jesus to become a baby, that he would experience everything that we would experience. He deepest pains and even more than that that he would experience the pain that we don't have to and that yet we get to experience eternity with you god that is the greatest truth we should shout for joy because of that and may we do that as soon as next.